Welcome to the Real Talk Weekly Podcast, where we discuss news, culture, life, and dive into deep conversations about our faith. Here's your host, Alan Reed. All right, you guys know the drill. Our format is simple. Our team of experts bring the dishes, and then I'll bring the deep dish. Uh, So um, we want you to post your thoughts and uh, tell us what you you like. Give us uh, your comments and your criticisms. We'll take those as well. And then on the count of three, you know what to do. One, two, three. Smash that like, like. button, please. I like wasn't it. sure which one he was going to say. It's Subscribe, funny. share, <laughs> yeah. Smash. comment. Smash. It's funny. Pass. You said, can I skip Pass. the intro? Smash. And I was like, sure, that's fine. You literally just skipped <laughs> everything. You skipped everything. <laughs> this went straight to it. Yeah. I was just repeating everything. Yeah. I'm Alan Reed, host of the show, here is. with the gang. <laughs> we have a great lineup for you today. Dead? Not dead. The world's oldest person? Question mark. Really? Uh-huh. Etu Chick Fil A, really? Yeah, you really. too. Yeah, and then teenagers oh, no. are miserable. Why? Mm-hmm. So that is what we're going to be talking about today. But we're going to start off with our icebreaker. Oreo wants to make the grossest flavor ever. What is it? The flavor grossest fl- flavor of Oreo for mm. yeah. Think of okay, think of biting into a yummy cookie. An Oreo cookie is delicious, yeah. but it's not. This is not, not real, that, also. This yeah, is I was just, say. yeah, don't yeah, go this is just for Oreos, for like, people. Terrible cookie flavor contest. What if Oreo was? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I got one. Okay. It's nasty. Mm-hmm. Toe jam. <gasps> Toe jam. Toe jam oh. Oreo. That probably would be bad. I never. I can't. That's gross. It's yeah. nasty. Is Puke. It? Yeah, it would be bad. Puke flavored Oreo. Mm. Puke. I think my mind went straight to like. Um, Harry Potter, where they have uh-huh. the, the gross jelly beans, Ew. and so it's like, mm, yeah. But, but those, I didn't. I wanted to be like vomit. Yeah, I wanted vomit. to be like creative in mine. Yeah, and I wanted to be like realistic. Yeah, and not like your stereotypical like yep. body fluid grossness. Yeah. Wow. Um. At me next time. So it's not poop. I think like. <laughs> 13 day old bustle, Brussels sprouts. Oh, specifically 13 mm. days. 13 days. Ashley can make some I good love Brussels, Brussels sprouts. sprouts. Yeah, yeah but They're not like 13 days old. And not in a cookie. Yeah, yeah in a cookie. Yeah. A stinky cookie. Mine That'd was asparagus. I would hate to have an asparagus. Mm. Oh. But I that's, asparagus. I, I mean, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. The like problem is there are people that like asparagus, so that's not really. I like but you're not it. going no, to a yeah, cookie to get that flavor. Yes, exactly. But if I could. If we're living in if the I future, could, I wouldn't do if it. If I could have sweets, it's kind of like uh, <laughs> it would be like what Chick Fil A is doing. Yeah, is what it would be like. How rude, Chick Fil A! It too. <laughs> you really love that <laughs> title. <laughs> he learned new French. I learned French since high school. <laughs> so <laughs> where does it come from, Alan? <laughs> one of the ladies at work. With Brutus. Yes. One of the ladies at work. Her son walked up and said, "Excusez-moi." Aww. And so I said, oh, parlez-vous français? He goes, what? <laughs> He's like, I, I said, it means do you speak French? He goes, no, I just know, excusez-moi. <laughs> it's time for the dish. You've heard of the uh, Burger King, I can't, or the, what do they call it? The Impossible, Impossible Whopper Impossible. thing. Impossible. Um, but it apparently possible. all these fast food restaurants are going to this like plant-based yeah. um, meat. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't really call it meat. Yeah, that's why I put quotations around it. Um, but Chick-fil-A is not safe from this. No. So apparently they are testing out, and it is actually in restaurants around the United States. Kinda it's not near it. here, but 
You say um, you would try it? I kind of want to, yeah. I kind of do, too. So they have come up with a Chick-fil-A sandwich yeah. that is all cauliflower instead of chicken. Ooh. Nasty. Might as well be asparagus. <laughs> yeah. Or 13-day-old Brussels sprouts. Oh, yeah. But so this article from the USA Today, um, they they tested it and they tried it out. But um, I guess they took like a, a press release or an interview from Chick-fil-A and uh, – this is what this is why they wanted to do this cauliflower sandwich. So they said we are committed to chicken and chicken is the hero, but it is becoming more and more prevalent that customers really want to find ways to increase vegetables in their diet. What? So offer us what better way to take yeah. vegetables and deep fry them they and then put salad. it on a sandwich. Get the salad. Folks. You know, if they wanted to put vegetables back in people's diets, they would bring back the coleslaw. I'm still mad about that. Yeah. They but, gave you a kale salad that tastes like a burnt tire. Yeah. Ew. To, to Owen's point, though, salad. like, yeah, you can't deep fry a salad, though. This lady is like eating it, like, oh, yeah, it's good, but look on her face doesn't say good. So <laughs> apparently, this. Apparently. Apparently, this, this sandwich is made up of cauliflower um, and they, they pressure cook it. So it's it still retains the cauliflower nest, but it also is crunchy. The shape of a chicken. You know what? It looks like brains, I bet. You yeah. bite into it, it you looks like deep it. fried brains. Gross. Oh. <laughs> you know uh, that, do, you, uh, do you know what deep fried brains look like? No, but cauliflower looks like a brain. You're just guessing. Okay. Yeah, I'm not a fan. From so, the um, I haven't had brain either. They tasted Ew. this sandwich. And they were That's actually pleasantly surprised how good it tasted. Wow. Whatever. Um, is this a commercial? Yes, brought you by Chick Fil A. I will tell you. It's outside of, ad. I will yeah. tell you. Outside of this article, there's been a lot of reels on this, uh-huh. and everyone's saying the same thing. All the reels are the same. They're like, "Oh, this is surprisingly good." But here's see, the deal. I could see that. If you deep fry anything and put it's a bunch good. of flavors on it, it's, it's going to taste it's pretty taste good. good. Yeah. Like wow. if I, if someone I didn't think you could convince me, but I think if you like, deep let's fry get real here. Oh a Toe Jam flavored Oreo, it's going to ah. be delicious. Wow. Okay, here here you go. Disgusting pickles. Pickles by themselves. They're love them or hate them, right? People are very divided on pickles. I hate pickles. But deep fry them. But you deep fry fry them and they taste exponentially better. True. So here's the deal. What (laughs) would you deep fry? Like, what could you not deep fry, like vegetable wise, that it would not be good? Would you eat a deep fried Brussels sprout? I know you're. Mm -hmm. I think if it's not 13 days old, I would try it. Okay. Yeah. Asparagus, would you deep fry? Yeah. Yeah. The answer is yes. It's like. Would you eat it with bacon? Yes. Absolutely. Yes. If you deep fry it, it's going to be good. But my favorite part of this whole article is the the section that says, is it vegetarian? (laughs) (laughs) Why is it not? It's still a veggie. It's not because they use eggs. (gasps) Mm -hmm. It's also not gluten-free. It is not because obviously if you deep fry anything. And that is a good question because like cauliflower, a lot of your pizzas for gluten-free are cauliflower. I think this is a cauliflower revolution. So yeah. realistically, it's not really healthy. No. No. Because it's still deep fried. It's still breaded. It's still all that stuff. It's just a deep fake. It's like, just not hey, meat. We're making a cauliflower burger. And it's like yeah. the uh, <laughs> the idea of getting more vegetables in your diet. That's that's the funny part about it. It's yeah. Like, okay. You could save like 10 calories and do the deep fried cauliflower sandwich. Or you could get a real sandwich and get chicken. With right. exceptionally less protein. Yes. Yeah. It's get mostly a, water. Yeah. Yeah. Folks, um, get a salad. You know the, you know the. <laughs> but also be careful on your, your salads because, you know. Right. Don't you know eat the, the croutons. Um, oh Chick-fil-A marketing is the cow that says eat more chicken. <laughs> yeah. They're now going to add a chicken that says eat more cauliflower. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, like, 
advertising wise, that's pretty genius. But also, yeah. here's the question. The starting price for this sandwich is six dollars and fifty nine cents for a piece of cauliflower. For a piece of cauliflower, yeah. would oh, you would you like, pay that? It's like half a head of cauliflower, probably. I don't even know what a regular Chick Fil A sandwich costs. It's like right around there, maybe less. Well, I yeah, yeah, I get it. It's the same way I would. I pay the same for a veggie burger. Do you eat veggie burgers? Of course she does. I like veggie. Do burgers. you not know? I her? love Why? meat, but I also like a veggie burger. I will tell you that there are some plant-based products that aren't bad. My wife works at a food testing lab, and I've been in a testing before. And I'm like, it's like they'll give you like a real piece of sausage, and then like the plant-based sausage, or a real mm-hmm. chicken nugget and the plant-based chicken nugget, and you're like, I can't tell the difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once again, you deep fry anything, it's gonna taste. <laughs> well, like the sausage isn't deep fried. You got me. Yeah, but, but you're putting a bunch of flavors. Be, uh, swayed over, but I might try. So, it now. is Chick Fil A going to change their name to like Cauliflower LA or Cauliflay? Cauliflay. That's what it is. And how are they going to change the commercials? Are they going to still use a cow? No, that's what I said. It's going to be. It's going to be a chicken. More cauliflower. Yeah. Except it's going to be like K. That's true. I wouldn't listen to you. Of course not. You never listen. That's good. I think it was probably. It's probably good. If we're going to try it, I say you dip it in buffalo and ranch because then you've got like oh the Chick Fil A sauce all the way. Oh, no. Mm-mm. Not with cauliflower. I got to go Buffalo Ranch. So if you're interested in trying this sandwich, you have to drive to Denver. Or North Carolina. Charleston, South Carolina, mm. and Greensboro. Wow. Basing my summer vacations off of this. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Road trip. <laughs> yeah. So there you we go. We talked about going to see a movie, you know, for one of our upcoming shows. Why don't we go to Denver <laughs> so we can try the the cauliflower sandwich and then see the movie there. Well, I'm sure because of the popularity on social media, it's going to be really hard to get. Like when Taco Bell brought back the Mexican pizza or uh, Popeye's in the chicken sandwich. Yep. Either way, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to try it. Good job on the article there. He's swayed me. I may try it now. He's going to try it. I was mad at him. Going woke, going woke on us, you know. Yeah, Chick-fil-A. Getting all vegetarian. I, I, I don't us. know that there's anything woke about. <laughs> oh, it is a vegetarian burger. A cons- yeah, conspiracy. They gave conspiracy. In yeah, to the cauliflower. To, it's another way of destroying our country. <laughs> all right, who's next? Uh, the dead, not dead. Oh my goodness! Can you imagine? And first of all, to anyone who has recently lost a loved one, I'm very sorry. This is the thing that you see in like comedy movies, right? Mm-hmm. Or horror movies. Or horror movies mm-hmm. yeah. I wasn't say where, horror more than comedy. <laughs> where, uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on the kind of comedy you watch. Yeah. Um, I just, I'm going to read the title. Funeral Home Finds Woman Breathing Hours After She Was Declared Dead. That is like nope. worse. I mean, that's what you get for working like at a, a funeral home. Once or twice a year, it seems like there's somebody that. <laughs> yeah, and that's the, that's the thing about How it. So, I mean, just in this article, this was in Miller Place, New York. An 82-year-old woman was pronounced dead at, the, at a New York nursing home but found to be breathing three hours later at the funeral home where she had been taken. This is like the episode of friends where, (laughs) so, I mean, she was alive for hours and they'd never even realized it. And I'm like, okay, so what's crazy. And you know, the article doesn't say much because they're trying to keep her privacy, but this, this came out on uh, November or February 6th. Mm -hmm. There has been no update to this woman's information on the internet. Like what happened to her? And what's really startling about this is that apparently this is way more common mm-hmm. than we think. Yeah, see? I believe it. And so uh, January 3rd, a 66-year-old woman was declared dead at a special care center um, where she was receiving hospice care. She was placed in a body bag and taken to a funeral home and crematory where workers found that she was still breathing inside the body bag and called 911. Wow. 
And um, I mean, she did die two days later. But, you know, the fact is they declared her dead, put her in a bag, zipped her up and sent her off. And she wasn't dead. Maybe we should so. just give it a little more time. Have you seen? You know, yeah. you six seen? hours seems yeah. like a safe bet. There should be like just like a arrest, okay. arresting period time. <laughs> okay, like, right, for right. the soul to I mean, make it out. Get the and, mirror and put it under their nose and see. Like, do something. Up my items. Like, sometimes their heart beats weak. They're old. Like, you know. But I'm like instantly. Sixty six isn't old. That's true. And we're just hearing about that the ones really that, close to that they now. found. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, there's people who are like, oh. I cannot report this. I'm, Nobody heard that. I'm so embarrassed. Oh my goodness. Um, but here's the. Sorry, I missed it. I, well, she said 66 is not old. I said, yeah, I know. Alan's really close to that right now. Hey, yeah. um, you're my, close to my age. I'm not close to your age. Uh, you're like, you're I'm really closer close. to your age than they are. Yeah. But uh, so Thanks. the humor in this to me, because, you know, I find humor in just about everything, was instantly I thought of Monty Python. Bring out your dead. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not dead. dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Could you man. imagine? Could you imagine? If being, we were rolling around a, a cart? Of people asking, well, number, like, yeah, that number one, but number two, day. can't imagine like being the person that discovered the person that was nope. declared dead and they're actually. I don't alive. think I would be able to yeah. sleep ever again. Like, well, in those movies, they already work at like a morgue; they sleep just fine around dead bodies. All but the time. in those movies where the people are like scared because they're like, "Did that body move?" It did. Yes, it did. Yeah, it actually did because yeah. they weren't. We should have had terrifying. a guest. We should have had a guest on the show. First. I know exactly who to invite. <laughs> I know. Ah, so interesting. Mr. Uh, funeral Home Man. Mm-hmm. Yes. To see yep. if he's ever experienced that. I'm going to text him. And ask him. Mm-hmm. Or the go. kids from um, My Girl. That was my that was my first option, actually. All right. And so we're going to go from dead to the... To living. Well, she's oh, probably maybe. dead now. But she's she dead was, now. Yeah. But the oldest woman in the world. Yeah. So possibly. this is a really fascinating story. This article came out um, by a longevity expert, she's which a- what a fun title. <laughs> I am a professional at figuring out how to have a long life. Um, so this article came out this week, but there is a backside to this. And so we will link that because I could be here for hours just sorting through this. It's a conspiracy theory that it wasn't actually her that lived, but a relative. So anyways, we're just going to pretend that it was her. Her name is Jeanne Calmont and she's a French woman and she lived to 122. She died in the late 90s. But like mm. I said, this article just came out. This lady has been studying her life and decided that there are three reasons this lady was the oldest living person. And so I want to share these reasons with you so that you too can live to be 122. Do you want to? Okay, I don't yeah, know. It's funny. <laughs> okay, number one, you have to be wealthy. All right? Well, dang it. So uh, if you're broke right. now, get it together. Um, she benefited from growing up in a bourgeois family in the south of France. A bougie. Bougie. Yeah, yeah. that's the American translation. Yeah. Bougie family. Um, she was able to go to school, which was not common for women during that time. And then really? she received private cl- Well, yeah, it was like the very early 1900s. Yeah. <laughs> um, she received private classes in cuisine, art, and dance and married at 20. Okay. So she also never worked. So, all right. So if you're working and you're broke, you need it's. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Drastically. You got to make some changes quickly if you want to live to 122. And then she was never alone. She always had someone there to help her. So she didn't stress. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you got to remove the stress and get rich. Number two, super important. (laughs) Don't start smoking until later in life. So <laughs> if you're currently smoking, give it up. Yep. Pick it up again but later on. But you're about on. 80. 
Yeah, yeah. So she <laughs> start smoking later. She smoked yeah. when she first got married at 20, didn't enjoy it, put the cigarettes down. Wise woman. Until she was 112 in a nursing home, <laughs> picked the habit up again. Nice. And she lived another Why not? Ten, She lived another 10 years after that. <laughs> That's pretty incredible. Yeah. It is. Okay, final thing, this is how you live a very long life. You have a great social life. So when you don't work and you have all that free time, you have nothing to do except to be social. So travel around the south of France, wherever it takes you, um, have a lot of social activities. And so go to uh, go to balls, go to galas, go to different events. I don't know. Go to Paris and um, you will live a long life. So You know what you don't see a lot of when you go to nursing homes? Old people, 122 of, year olds. A lot of overweight old people. Yeah. Someone she said that to me that day and I was like, that's so true. They're already dead. So I don't know if that, is that in there? No, this is yeah. just, it's, this it's smoke later in episode. life. As a 50 year old who's a little bit overweight, you kind of think about those things. You're just like, wow, someone, someone, I think maybe Pastor West said that in a sermon or something like that. Have you noticed it's not? Yeah. Someone said, I can't hmm. remember. I'll, I'll give it to Pastor This is very West. morbid. This is. Um, well, it's, this is encouraging. If yeah, you it is. Because you can't time, smoke at 112. Yeah. Get I think rich. she's just ready ready to go to heaven. Come on. But then right. she, yeah. another decade went by and she's still just, yeah. Pff, yeah. you know. Anyways, so that's sweet. how you make it a long time in this world. And so, okay, best but tell wishes. Us, tell us these this conspiracy, though. Okay, I won't get into too much of it. But <laughs> people, there are a couple of experts who have been studying her. She had a lot of stories that didn't add up. And I'm like, at 122, can we really say that she was there mentally? Right. So anyways, she had a daughter and people think that it was her daughter who actually lived um, up until 97. And Jean, Jean, she died in 1934, but they didn't say it was her um, due to having to pay taxes Oh my gosh. And so anyways, the conspiracy theory is incredible. It's a super long um, research piece by the New Yorker. And so it's fascinating if you want to get your blood boiling and just be scratching your head for an hour. Read that. No kidding. By the way, just to kind of back up a little bit, I asked our relative uh, mortician. Uh Uh-huh. Our local uh, mortician. Our local mortician. I said, uh, explain the article and said, have you ever experienced that? No, but he did see the story. And he said, if that ever happens to him, that's the day he retires. Yeah. <laughs> no see, kidding. I told you. <laughs> Even if they were around, you know, deceased people all the time, doesn't mean they. I mean, know. that's going to freak anybody out. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. I'm done. The morgue itself freaks me out. Well, it should. That's a little weird. No kidding. That's a healthy fear. Thank you. Yeah. But I tell you what, you old ladies me. are just sweet. I go They're see my so mom. Cute. She's in a nursing home and she's got a roommate oh, she's, there. Oh, she's not and we'll just sit, it's like the old ladies. We'll just cute. sit and chat together. It's just the cutest things. It is. And, well, uh, I was thinking about, you know, you said that, I mean, secret, one of the secrets is a healthy social life. Mm-hmm. My grandma was in uh, a care facility, you know, before the end of her life. And she actually lasted quite a bit longer than we expected. Mm-hmm. And it was really cute to see that she would wheel herself around on the wheelchair. And yep. Just, you know, like where she was at, they had different little areas that they lived in. And so, you know, there's a group here and a group here and a group there. Well, so she'd wheel herself out and she'd go to the communal areas and mm-hmm. she'd go down the hallway and go to another section of the building. And, you know, she was very social. Yeah. Yeah. She that was part. also a little bit crazy because she did real. slap someone for stealing, stealing <laughs> jam off of the table because the woman took it back to her room to have with a piece of toast. Well, 
Somebody's got to lay down the law. Yeah. <laughs> Enforce it. Man, food fight in a the nursing, fight home. nursing home. <laughs> she was running a small mob there. <laughs> would, no gym for I wouldn't you, put it Jan. past my granny. That's awesome. It's the deep dish. All right, for the deep dish, we have a New York Times article. Really, really good. Uh, who is the author? The guy's name is uh, Ross Duthat. Do that. <laughs> do Almost. that. D o u t h a t. Great article. I thought mm-hmm. he did. I thought it was really well written, Job and uh, a lot of stuff I liked in there. And this was with. an opinion article. Yeah. Yes, by the way. opinion article in the New York Times. American teens are really miserable. Why? And uh, so we as a team have read the article together, and or not together, but we've all read it, come come prepared for it, and uh, I was just blown away. Um, you're, you're, we're hearing a lot more of this kind of stuff, uh, different articles. So this one, um, was just another article that we've seen, but it just really highlights the fact that, um, so many teenagers are struggling today and, uh, it highlighted the fact that it's not, uh, it, it's not even across the board mm-hmm. that we really see a, a heightened, uh, rate of depression, suicidal thoughts among our young ladies as well. So uh, before we begin, what did you guys think of the article? Did you, was it good? Was it uh, interesting to you? What were your thoughts on teenage girls experiencing a higher percentage of suicide, uh, at least the thoughts and depression? Uh, I think it's really interesting. I mean, the piece is an opinion piece, so it's heavily swayed, I feel like. Um, but then, you know, we have research too, just kind of backing up some of these points, the conversation of mental health is really big right now. And I have strong feelings about that as well. Um, and you know, I'm 10 years removed from being a teenager, but I don't, I don't feel like (laughs) you wish. I don't know. There's just a lot of things in this article that made me go, hmm. I want to hear like, it. Oh, I don't really think that that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we'll bring those out for sure. So a uh, question. We'll start with you, Allie, on this one. Oh, okay. So do you agree or disagree with the fact that t- uh, teenage girls are experiencing uh, a greater amount of um, anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts? Compared to Compared to, to boys. boys. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I do feel like girls experience that more. Um, Most of the people in high school that I knew who acted upon those suicidal thoughts were all guys. Mm -hmm. But um, I would say more girls experience that. And I think it's um, some of our makeup, right? Not actual like physical makeup on our face, but genetically, like we are more inclined to sensitive feelings. Mm -hmm. um, And we as women kind of have a stronger connection to social life. And so when your social life causes bad feelings for you, um, I think that's when suicidal thoughts and everything come in. So I do think it affects women more than it does men or girls in this case Mm -hmm. versus boys. I have the same thought, like in a sense, because I was, as I was thinking about the topic, I was kind of going back to my high school days and we didn't have a lot of suicide back then, but we did have some. And it was all, it was all guys. Like mm-hmm. there was never a case where a girl had taken her life. Mm-hmm. And so the the whole premise of it kind of made me start thinking about the fact that, you know, you're right. Girls are much more in tune with their emotions. They're much more willing to accept it. So therefore they're probably impacted more by the thoughts. But to me, I was like, okay, is it, is the reason why the guys are the ones that act on it more is because they're incapable, not trained, not, you know, they're not helped 
in the area of dealing with our emotions and, and handling mm-hmm. them. And it's, you know, a faux pas for them to accept their emotions and, and deal with them. Mm-hmm. And so the guys just don't know how to deal with that. And so that's why they're more prone to actually take their life when they're dealing with that struggle. I've heard yeah. that actually girls, the attempt of suicide, girls are higher, but guys are more successful mm-hmm. at doing it. And so kind of a, a sad thought, but mm-hmm. it, it does show that anxiety is you know, higher in young ladies. Um, but yeah, guys are more aggressive and they're um, and evidently more likely to, to follow through on that. Mm-hmm. So the two, the two main thoughts, um, the guy who wrote this article, he brought up Jonathan, I don't know how you pronounce the last name, it's, uh, I don't know if it's height, if the D's uh, silent, how you pronounce that, H-A-I-D-T. Um, his uh, thought is that the, the key instigator is the rise of social media. Uh, but then there's another guy that he uh, highlights, Derek uh, Thompson, and he says um, that for him, it tends to be more ideological. Uh, a liberal might point to teenage anxiety among climate change or school shootings or the rise of Donald Trump, where a conservative uh, might insist that um, that it may be due more to identity politics uh, or the isolation created by COVID, things mm-hmm. like that. And so th- those were the two uh, main thoughts. So when you guys read that, did you lean more towards one or the other or neither? Um, well, all of us aren't teenagers, so it's yeah, hard to literally get to Literally none the, of us. The, <laughs> none of us are, but you guys are close. To get to the mind of a teenager. Kids. Yeah. Because in this culture. <laughs> okay, dad. In the same height. Especially <laughs> in this like um, Gen Z uh, growing up, it's hard to kind of get in the mentality of what they're doing like. Y'all can't think like millennials and then, you know, so, um, but I I tend to lead more towards that social media side of things. I think, I mean, obviously those other, uh, things are play into it, but I think a majority can find that, uh, social media is probably a a big instigator in a lot of this. It made me giggle. I literally, (laughs) I literally put LOL right here next to that, that whole section you just read. Um, I have three teenage nephews and I have one teenage niece. And so we have a lot, we're very close. We have a lot of conversations and I can guarantee you right now that thinking both liberal and conservative side of the, that list that was just written out, mm-hmm. they're not, I, I mean, there are like a handful of kids who think they know what they're talking about when it comes to politics or like, Oh, well voting or whatever. And it's like, why are you worked up about that? You are 14 years old. Mm -hmm. You have, you have no idea. You're just repeating what you've heard at home. And so that list from both sides made me giggle. And I just think a lot of like the world has just advanced so much. And we forget that at the end of the day, they're still teenagers. Mm -hmm. All those things that we felt as teenagers still exist. It's just progressed much more. And so I'm not so much in the camp that social media has, like the reason for these dark times since the 2010 era has just stayed is because of social media. I think it's, I, I think that generationally like this mental health situation flows. And so starting 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and now we're here and we have social media. I think all of that works together to create this anxiety right. for teenagers. And so I just think it's part of, Unfortunately, being a teenager, you know, it's this point in your life when 
you question so many things and poor them scientifically their brains won't develop until they're 25 and so it's so hard why such a higher rate of anxiety a higher rate i mean from what Mm -hmm. it sounds like it's measurable that it's higher today than it was 10 years ago 15 years ago and that's where i would agree with the article that social media has heightened it because it's an immediate conversation you're posting um, you know, whatever teenagers are talking about, you know, today they're posting about it, talking about it. They're comparing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like we all do and stuff like that. I can see how social media can really, um, you know, do a number on young people who yeah. really are still asking the question, who, who am I, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and now that you conflate it with all the, um, the different, questions going on with gender identity and uh, sexual identity and everything is is so gray in their world mm-hmm. uh, with no clear answers um, and so I think it's just in social media just kind of it's just I don't know what you'd say it's not the fuel but it's the platform to where it just seems like it it spreads yeah. let me ask you a question so for you guys because you guys are younger <laughs> mm-hmm. you know um when you were in high school, social media was a thing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very just, beginning of it. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. So the very beginning of it. Um, and I just, I'm trying to gain the context just from where you guys are at, because I grew up without social media. I grew up without the internet, right? I mean, the internet existed, but it was nothing like it is today. Um, it was mostly text-based and it was reading. It wasn't, Oh, look at these fun pictures. Um, but, <clears throat> uh, you know, I, I think I tend to agree a little bit with the article, disagree a little bit with the article. I think that, you know, and I said this in a text thread, the reality of the social based influence has always been around, you know, it's been around since the invent of television, magazines, newspapers, maybe not newspapers, but magazines and all this kind of stuff. I mean, once you had sports illustrated and Vogue and all these magazines that were like, are you beautiful? Are you athletic? And you started comparing yourself to whatever these fake things were that had been put out and processed and Photoshopped, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, okay, well, yeah, that created some anxiety in it, you know, cause that was definitely a thing. And when you go back, way back when before all that existed and you know, the statistics are probably lower. I haven't researched this. I don't know, but just based on what I'm seeing in the culture and the community, I'm going to say that this is what's happened. Um, now you're at a place kind of like Alan's saying where everything is real time on demand. You can see it, you can feel it, you can experience it. And social media, especially is a highlight reel, you Mm -hmm. know, Yes, you have people that are like, oh, my day was terrible today and I'm ready to just give in and give up. That's not the norm. That's not the majority. And that's not what gets clicks and ratings, right? The stuff that's that's better is the funny stuff. Oh, look how funny they are. It's the stuff where it's like, oh, look how beautiful they are. Oh, look how successful they are. Look how, I mean, it's all the the highlight reel of, okay, this is the best of the best and these people are getting all the attention. And when you start just constantly ingesting that mm-hmm. and you start going, I'm not, that's not me. I'm not like that. I'm not. Uh, that's I'm not at all like that. Oh my gosh, I'm a failure. And that's going to start building anxiety and all that kind of stuff. You know, now that being said on the flip side, I do think there's a lot of stuff happening. It's kind of like the squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? There's a lot of stuff happening where what is public it's whether it's in the news cycles, whether it's in social media cycles, whether it's television, whatever is all this stuff that's politically charged about racism and, you know, gender identity and sexual identity. And, you know, do you, do you believe in climate change? Do you not believe in climate change? All this, all this negativity that's out there. Um, and just the fighting about it just creates all this confusion and all this stuff that whenever you're young, like you said, their brains aren't developed until they're 25, you know, so they're having all this poured in. How is that not affecting them? You know, because we didn't have that. 
And so does that mean that we're more emotionally stable or better off? <laughs> no, we still had experiences <laughs> that <laughs> impacted us and influenced us, but not to the degree, you know, we had like the garden hose nowadays, kids have like the fire hydrant. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like, I, I don't, I feel sorry for him because I'm like, man, you are being bombarded with so much stuff that's not real and it's not true, but you have super famous people out there saying, well, this is my truth. This is your truth. Mm-hmm. There's no thing is, there's no such thing as my truth or your truth. There's the truth mm-hmm. and there's your perspective. There's your opinion. There's your point of view, but that doesn't always mean it's truth. You know, one of my favorite uh, memes out there that exists is two people looking at a number that's been written on the ground and it's a six or a nine, depending on which angle you're standing at. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, this person says it's a six. Well, this person says it's a nine. And it's like, they're both true. Well, because it depends on their perspective. Well, I love a comment that was made on it says, no, they're not. Someone wrote that as a six or a nine. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether you're looking at it from a different angle or not. The creator had an intention. So the creator has an intention. It's just we're trying to take it from our perspective and our point of view, which doesn't really understand it and trying to make something different out of it. So it's like somebody made that number on the ground to be the six or nine. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter if you're looking at it as a nine, if they meant it to be a six. And I think in not rebuttal, but just saying that um, social influence has been around for a long, long time. I would say, yes, I tend to agree with that. But I think what makes this one special is because relationships are built on this platform, Mm -hmm. not just influence. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking back to the beginning of like when I started having social media, when when I lied about my birthday to get on (laughs) Facebook. um, You would never do that. Or get on MySpace. (laughs) The the first things that I remember of like, okay, MySpace, you had your top friends. And so you would kind of rank your you know like rank mm-hmm. your friends and then mm. you one day a friend would be lower than the other one or they would move around or your crush would be number one kind of thing um and then that would influence your relationships outside of the internet and That's then now so interesting and now you're seeing this your relationship is purely the internet mm-hmm. yeah not right. not just a you know, one-to-one. And that was a big difference. I mean, you kind of went into it to where you already had a lot of that established social media came about Mm -hmm. and it became a new platform for it to happen. Yeah. Yeah. But in this weird way, like I, I did, I was not allowed to, I made a Facebook account without telling my parents and got in trouble. But, um, in this weird way, I think that the time that we were growing up with social media was probably more mentally like draining and mm-hmm. more damage could have been done and probably was done during that time mm-hmm. because like you said you're rank you're literally ranking your friends publicly yeah and now like those That's things so don't exist yeah. it's yeah. you just have your internet friends <laughs> it was a wild wild you west you poor things <laughs> well, i mean and i don't feel bad for us but yeah. the our generation now yeah. there's a lot of people our age who are this influencer type right on social Mm -hmm. media. And so they live their lives very publicly on social media, but they disregard all of the negative comments. And so I, they live their lives so publicly though. How are they able to deal with it? And teenagers are not able to deal with it. And that's, there's, there's some kind of disconnect between two generations in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I, I think a lot of it is just psychological maturity. Like they're just teenagers. They're not, 
yeah. scientifically, they're not there yet to be able to handle those things. But um, again, like I, like I said before, I just think that we didn't take care of a lot of things in past generations. So the sexual revolution of the sixties that carried on through the seventies and you've got pop culture coming in in the eighties and the nineties. I think this article refers to them as the halcyon years. They weren't, they were very rebellious and you have the opioid crisis. And so now you've got social media and we've literally given a platform, like you said, Alan, for people to take all of that and make it as painful as it could be. And, and kids do. And I even think like when we were kids, that phrase sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That does not apply anymore. Like words are the things that hurt people nowadays. You can hear it in the language they use, you know, you, you offended me or whatever. And that phrase is tossed around so much. And so I just think, I don't know. Kids don't fight on yeah. the playground anymore. I almost wish they did. I'm like, hey, he said something about you. Go yeah. beat him up. Those things just happened, handle it that it was, way. It was over on social media. Yeah. Like that stuff stays on there. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. So. Well, and see, we've shot way past. You offended me too. That's offensive. Mm-hmm. I actually just I saw a, a video recently, and it was it was from a comedian, but he's very outspoken about against this you know woke movement that's going on. He's like, how arrogant are you to think that you should never be never have to hear anything that you find offensive mm-hmm. because you say things that are offensive mm-hmm. to other people. But how arrogant is it of you to say, well, that's offensive. No, you should say that I'm offended by that because just because you're offended by something doesn't mean everyone else is. But you know, you, you mentioned uh, influencers and I think, I don't know if this is what you meant by what you said, but you made the comment that, you know, influencers live in their lives publicly and they're, they're able to deal with it. I don't know that they really are living their lives that publicly. I think influencers, you're, they're showing, Again, the highlight reel, the good things. You know, uh, there was a there was a documentary that came out. I think it was on Netflix about influencers, and it was showing. Uh, I just remember this one part of it. I don't remember the whole video, but I just remember this one part of it. And it was talking about influencers on a boat, right? They were mm-hmm. out on some super luxury yacht or something. And it wasn't really a yacht. It was more like they called it a yacht, but it was more like an overgrown fishing boat. Um, but they're you know they're out there and it's these beautiful women and they're out there in their bathing suits and they're you know, hair is flowing back and they've got the cameras going and all that kind of stuff. And they showed the stuff that was posted to social media. But then in this video, they showed the stuff that was behind the scenes and the behind the scenes was, it was like 40 degrees outside and they were freezing to death and the boat sank, <laughs> right? None of that ever made it to social media. The only thing that was visible was these pictures that looked like these women were enjoying their luxury lifestyle on this wonderful, incredible yacht in the sunny warm weather and the reality was nothing at all like what was posted. Yeah. You know, and so it's like that's that's I think the problem is that we have this facade that goes out over social media, you know, especially from the influencers, right? Oh, look how perfect my life is. Your life's not perfect. Your life is miserable. You know, you're just not being honest about it. And yeah. so I that's kind of what I'm wondering is like there's that disconnect between what's actually really happening and and I don't know. I mean, I think whether you live a very authentic life on social media or a fake life, people are going to cyber bully you either way. And so I'd rather live a fake life and be bullied over something I know is not real. And, and like you said, going into the age, we're talking about teenagers here, you experience something like that and it can be, it can be devastating. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's different when, when you're going to, when you're walking down the hallway, like bullying when I was a kid was when you were like, in seventh grade and you were going to middle school and the, uh, the ninth graders would do this thing where they would push their friends into 
a seventh grader and like mm-hmm. smash them up against the wall, you know? Yeah. And so you just, you just realize that you got, you got bullied a little bit, but then you went on to class and you're thinking jerks, you know, mm-hmm. but now it's just like, it is just very, de- it can be very degrading and constant and it's yeah. different. It's changed. And now it's even worse yeah. with uh, that AI thing where they, I can't rem- I don't know the name of the young lady that, um, that just got, uh, posted like where it made her like in some kind of like vulgar uh, mm-hmm. pornographic uh, scene or something like that to where they put her face on that. I'm just like, Oh my yeah. goodness. Now she wasn't a teenager, but still a young adult and just matter. like, mm-hmm. Oh, just awful. You know, one thing I was thinking of when you guys were talking about is um, when I was a kid, instead of it being like um, where you had this, it was really the church and religion that kind of laid the rules and everyone was like pushing against religion. And, um, you know, you think of like Dirty Dancing and some of those movies that came out where it's like a revolt against rebellious teens. Yeah. Against your parents who still went to church and and maybe the kids didn't want to go that, yeah, that sort of thing. And you were rebelling against uh, your parents, you were rebelling against religion or against your teachers. We're not mm-hmm. going to take it, right? Some of those songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and nowadays, it's just so different. You have a, it's a different policing that's going on, and it's done by it's done done by young people, mm-hmm. and it's one side of young people, you know. And it's it's more of a political slash. I don't know. Uh, um, it's a movement that seems very, very puzzling for me. Mm-hmm. And I just think the, the pendulum swings back and forth. In my generation growing up, it, w- it was this way, and now it's swung this way. I think that some of this, especially where everyone has their own truth, I think a younger generation is going to come that's honestly going to be a little bit more traditional. And they're going to be like, no, there really is some right and wrong and, and probably a little bit more clarity than what what the old, older generation mm-hmm. has been saying because it's what has it brought us? A lot of unhealth, a lot of confusion. And um, so I'm just curious to see what the next 10 to 15 years yeah. are going to be like. Do you think that the pendulum has swung to an extreme? That, like being being of a younger generation, do you see maybe a little bit of a, a, a quote, conservative, maybe a different kind of conservative, but a pendulum swinging back towards the middle? Between what? You, Between uh, like having values that's been instituted by faith, okay. uh, by institution, to uh, no values. It's you, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. I don't think the pendulum swinging towards the middle at all. Really? I think, I think it, if anything, it's moving the opposite. Further out? Yeah. yeah. Uh, because I say that, and I think it really goes back to this idea that Allie was harking on about, you know, these are just teenagers. And so um, these are like development years, I mean, physically and emotionally. And, and you know, you're trying to figure out who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you have all this information, like James was saying, like you have more information and more people speaking into what you should believe than ever before. Mm-hmm. And now you have no idea what truth is, mm-hmm. right? And you can find your, you can find people who agree with you. Oh yeah. You kinda... can go to Google and find anything you want to find. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even, search. even, even numbers and statistics, you can find what you want right. to find. Mm-hmm. Like you believe it's in flat easy for me to look, find a whole group of people yeah, that believe in a flat it's earth. It's easy for me to go to, you know, Pew's website of, of statistics and find a statistic that matches what I believe. That's yeah. literally what you did. It's what I did. It's <laughs> yeah. literally what I did. And I was, I did that on purpose to show like, 
I specifically looked of like on articles about mental health and especially in, in teenagers. And then I looked at ones that are about social media and there was way more about social media than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, even more so like these kids and teenagers and as we grow into adults have no idea how to, to parse all this information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They have no idea how to apply it and they have no idea. And we have no idea to really know how to share it in a way that it's meaningful other mm-hmm. than this is what I believe. And now we've gotten to this, this world and culture of like what you believe is now truth. And so now you're going to believe what you're thinking is to be true. And that's how you're going to live your life the rest of your life. Yeah. Well, and what, so something that concerns me is that, you know, it goes beyond just teenagers. I mean, let's get real. There are adults that still behave mm-hmm. just like this. That's People what I was are, saying. They're well past the age mm-hmm. of 25. As they grow up. And they don't because they've never, they've, and I, I'm not trying to play the blame game. I don't know if this is because parents haven't known how to, how to combat the negativity and all that kind of stuff. Or if we just, society, we don't know how to counteract the effects of this. You know, but we've got full-grown adults. I mean, people in politics that are behaving this way. And it's like, yeah. oh, my goodness, this yeah. is the state of our nation, you know, right, or the state of our world. But th- this whole time, is, as I just think about at any time we talk about, like, the your truth, my truth, and the, you know, the endorphins from likes and the negative feelings from dislike and, mm-hmm. and not being, you know, all this kind of stuff. There's a, there's a television show that I'm a huge fan of. Guess what? It's a sci-fi show um, from Seth MacFarlane, who is not conservative. Okay, Seth MacFarlane is the guy who created Family Guy. He's created a show called Orville, um, which is supposed to be like a spoof on Star Trek, but it's actually a really deep show, right? There's, I know it's going to sound funny, but they had this episode where the entire episode was based around a world where people walked around with a like meter and a dislike meter <laughs> above their heads, right? And based on how you interact with people, they could go like, dislike, dislike, dislike. Mm. You know, and the idea was yeah. this social acceptance is what guides your life. And if you are not prim and proper or popular or cool or funny or whatever, your dislike meter is going to go up and your like meter is going to go down and then you're done, you know, cause if it gets too low, they'll come and they'll kill you. Mm. And it's like, while that's obviously like an extremist thing, <laughs> yeah. this is from a non-conservative dude mm-hmm. writing this to talk about this. And, and, and let's get real writers write about things that are in, in, culture and society, right? So like this is a mainstream liberal guy talking about how crazy it is that this is the kind of stuff mm-hmm. that that our society is based mm-hmm. on. And so that again, it's extremist, but I mean, we could be headed there. Yeah. You know. And man, I just keep going back to what Ali said about, you know, like being a teenager, but now you're going you have to have an opinion on things. Yeah. Like and now you have to have an opinion on things that are very deep, complicated, and complicated, right? And and politics and and economics and you know, it's it's so scary to think like when I was that young, I didn't really care about it at all, except yeah. for the fact of when my parents were voting and it was mm-hmm. a election year. Mm-hmm. Same. Um, you got to stay up late. Yeah, and <laughs> same. That's, that's I mean, it's no different. Matters. I mean, I don't know how it was for you. But it was no different for me. Like. I didn't know but anything didn't about care. politics. I didn't like, care. I didn't care. Nobody cared. No. That was the thing is like there weren't there wasn't anyone talking about politics 
or any of these things. I think. But, you know, young people are in the middle of politics. Yeah, they are. We're talking now about they... what's happening in political and it's like impacting them. Like they're going to school and they're they're being told if you're a girl and you're athletic and, and you enjoy things that boys do, then maybe you have more boy in you and you're kind of in somewhere on, along the pendulum mm-hmm. of being a boy or a girl. Maybe you're supposed to be a boy. Yeah. And you have girls having surgeries or wanting to have surgeries at 16 years old. You know, so it's like they're living in like the battleground of what's being talked about. Yeah, they're kind of yeah. like the the guinea pigs of this political movement, right. which is really sad. Yeah, was, yeah it's terribly, terribly. I was with a group of uh, parents the other day and um, talking about uh, just the concern that we have for our children, and it was interesting that many of them talked about um, when they they remember when their kids got their phone. That was like one thing that they remembered. And then also for some of them that had older kids going off to college and Mm -hmm. those two things, they felt like, and it was just more access. It was out from under the umbrella, their protection Mm -hmm. and their care. And it's just, it's a scary thought for parents. You know, you, you realize at a certain time that, you know, your influence is waning, but I think it's heightened now. I mean, your kids can literally watch and see anything. And there are people that are targeting kids to try to influence them. And I don't know, is that an exaggeration, do you think? Or Uh, I think it can be exaggerated, but I think when you boil it down to the the minute things of our culture and, and, you know, social media and, and, selling and and things like that and ads and and how we approach entertainment yeah i think it really is targeting for sure i mean like that's the whole point of advertisement is to target an audience yeah and i'll i mean this is just a very real application yesterday you know we're preparing for kids camp in the summer and we always make fun shirts for them so i was trying to get some inspiration um and i was just looking up like fun kids shirts I saw probably half of the things I encountered were shirts that said, be the change or like, I'm the change made for toddlers. Mm -hmm. And so that's a very like movement, you know, focused shirt at four years old. What is that child? Yeah. (laughs) What is that child learning? They they don't even know how to read. That's a parent pressure. Yeah. That's the thing. And so I, we have to take responsibility for it. And I do really feel for teenagers in this time. Like, I I remember what it was like. It really wasn't that bad, but it wasn't today also. And so we have to take responsibility for it. And a lot of the things that they go through, you know, we have this list of cyberbullying tactics that people use in its name calling, which has always been around, but now it's name calling in public in front of thousands of people. And it's this thing called revenge porn. And that's because our generations and generations past didn't take care of getting porn out of the way. And so these poor kids are now their faces are being photoshopped on other people's bodies and it's out there for all their peers to look at. And, and so I just think it's, it's so sad. And the mental health crisis, there are people who don't take it seriously, right? You're going to have people who think it's popular to have a mental health issue and it's not by any means there are actual people who have it um, and struggle with things. And so you want to take everything seriously because you just, you never know. But I do think a lot of that, we, we should feel the guilt for a lot of what teenagers are going through today. And some of it is brought upon by themselves, but they don't know any better. So as the church, how do we respond? Right. Like how, how do we, 
what it, I mean, like, obviously, if we had the answer, it would be solved by now. Yeah. But like, how do we approach this as as a Christian and as a church? Yeah. How do we help this situation? I was thinking the same thing. And it goes to our last question. And I was just thinking, one, can it really be solved? You know, I think that's mm-hmm. why everyone is so hopeful that like as the Asbury revival or I hate to call it a revival and put a stamp on something where you just see something beautiful happening. Let's see where it goes. But uh but it's just like, gosh, we just need a movement of God. Yep. You know what I mean? It's like, can we can we solve this? I definitely think there are things that churches and uh, and I would even say for uh, for other you know other conservative faiths. You know, you have you know I grew up with a lot of uh, Jews, and you have the synagogues, and you have different faith organizations. Is like for a country to be impacted by this, you know. Most faiths, especially the the Christian faith, the Jewish faith, come from the the same book, the Old Testament, and it's like we need we need people to reinstitute these values and uh, and and emphasize them to our kids. But I don't know; it's hard. I mean, that's what we do. Right. I mean, we teach the Bible, and I think our church does a great job. I mean, I've been in a lot of churches. I'm like, man, we do a solid job, but yet. Our kids are still impacted. Yep. We, we can't protect them from society. Right. Even heard of kids, you know, parents saying, "My kids were homeschooled, and mm-hmm. this, these are the things that we did." And um, yeah, society, you, you know. So, how do you protect your kids, and how do you prepare them? Yeah, that's that's almost the impossible question because I don't think we have an like answer. An, there really like isn't an impossible a good answer. Meat. Yeah, impossible meat. Uh, yeah. But it. I mean, as someone who's not a parent, obviously, um, but thinking about this through, like when I was growing up and then through college, like what decisions did I make and what things did I do to help me kind of influence my, how I grew up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and when I, one of the things that I thought about instantly was to teach someone how to be, think critically, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like how to think and parse news and and what they're absorbing through media and entertainment how do you think critically and how do you teach somebody to think critically not to the point where nothing is true yeah. but just think okay if if this is true or if it's not true how do i respond right um and not to accept everything at at its face value yeah, yeah. um i think that's really good uh and I, yeah. Yeah, and I think as a church too, we just don't need to give up. Even mm-hmm. though we're we're yeah. seeing in some ways where we feel like we're losing a battle, you know, uh, at the same time if you do look at statistics with uh church in general, whether it's evangelicals or if it's non-denominational, you see that uh in some ways we're holding the line where some of the other churches that have fallen away mm-hmm. from uh some of the same beliefs that maybe the, those denominations held 10, 20 years ago. Those are the ones that are really suffering. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, I was watching a, a blog on that or, or listening to a, a podcast on that. And it was just amazing here in the uh, the amount of decline in a lot of these Protestant denominations that have begun to compromise. I just think we just have to continue to be faithful to teaching our young people and having conversations. That's where the church maybe could grow a little bit more is sometimes we're not willing to have those those conversations with our young adults. I think yeah. maybe youth ministers are yeah. and uh, and everything, but... Uh, well, getting... I think the hard part in, in our conservative Bible Belt area, I mean, we're in Arkansas, 
it's easily to make a stigma out of mental health. Like, because growing up and especially when the, that movement grew, like Southern Baptist grew was during the boomer age. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like that mentality of like, you got to make sure you're, you're perfect or Mm -hmm. make sure other people see that you're successful. You're, you're making it, your family's good. Your kids are healthy, things like that. Yeah. Not necessarily having tough conversations Mm -hmm. with your family and other people and being honest. Yeah. And I, one thing too, again, not, not a parent, but as an aunt, I've had some of these conversations and they've been eye opening for me too. A lot of what teenagers are going through started when they were younger And so a lot of the evil influence started when they were younger. And so I think as parents, it's really important to invest in your children, to teach them how to love other people. Um, You know, we were always taught, oh, keep an eye out for whoever's getting bullied because it was happening verbally Mm -hmm. and physically. And it's like, tell your teacher. It's like, Mm -hmm. okay, well now like with this generation, how can you personally get involved in, in helping someone. And I think, I think that's a huge change I see. And my niece and I have had good conversations. Um, there was, you know, there's children in her class who are going through sexual identity crisis and, you know, that was happening in fourth grade and some of her friends. And so she just, the question was, how do I, how do I respond? I don't, I don't want to feel uncomfortable being their friend. And, and, you know, I want to be able to go to a sleepover with them and all these things. And, it just makes you question so many different things at a younger age. But I told her, I don't even know if this is good advice, so I'll just say it here and you can sure. affirm or tell me not. <laughs> no, it was um, wrong. It was terrible. But I just told her this is a really important time that you love your friend, regardless of what she's, regardless of what she's trying to figure out in her life, because yeah. you don't know what her home life is like. She might yeah. not have anyone who affirms her at home yeah. as you are of value and you are of worth. Yeah. And so, you know, her name is Ellie, my nieces. And so I just told her, Ellie, you've got to be who you are and the friend that you have been to this girl throughout the rest of her school years. Cause she'll Mm. remember that. And Mm -hmm. I mean, there are people in my life I remember who were influential friends of mine and, um, I tried to be that person for others. And so I just think as a parent, if I had a teenager right now, those, the dinner table conversations would be how to think critically and Mm -hmm. how to, how to love others without compromising what you believe in. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah. Every generation probably thinks that it's near the end of the world when they look at the values (laughs) and everything, you you know, you see in the old Testament, you know, where the prayers are Lord heal, heal our land. Mm -hmm. And I think that, uh, we're looking at the uh, same issue, but it, it does seem insurmountable. And I think, we need to pray. We need to ask for God to, to do what we can't do. And then we just need to do our part. And uh, as parents, we need to do our part for our kids. As uh, churches and as leaders, we need to do our part and make sure that we're we're actually engaged in, in what's really happening in the lives of young people and talking about those things and, and not make those taboo conversations mm-hmm. and everything. So, uh, but yeah, good conversation. And I mean, we, uh, we barely scratched this. Oh yeah. yeah. I feel like that with <laughs> a lot of these things is there's just so much more to say, but, um, but it is important that we, that we're aware of it. And so, yeah, when you see a young person, Encourage them, brighten their day, you know, and uh, come alongside and, and encourage them 
be a friend. So, all right, you guys. Well, as always, we want you to share your thoughts, and uh, we would love to hear your thoughts. We may not be able to comment on everything that's going on, but uh, everyone needs to be able to share their opinion. We'd love to hear yours as well. And join us next week. Uh, we're going to be talking about, I think, a, a neat topic, a movie that's coming out. Uh, if you haven't heard about it yet, it is called Jesus... Revolution. There you go. Yeah. Oh, revolution. That's Jesus right. revolution. Jesus. Yep. <laughs> Came out it. yesterday, Jesus and uh, I think it's a good segue from what we talked about last week uh, on uh, the Asbury revival, and just going back to the seventies and what happened there. I love and, the seventies. Uh, yeah. The heavenies. Yeah, I've already. <laughs> I've, uh, I've downloaded a book on the 70s and the revival back then. It's like, oh, pretty interesting. Thank y'all for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.